head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at his feet we sin and shame is now robed in majesty the radiance of perfect love now shines for all to see your name your name your name is victory that held us now gives way to him who is our peace his final breath upon the cross is now
life is going well, isn't it? When life's not going so well, it can get a little more challenging. That's where we come into the story as a family of God. We get to support and lift up and encourage one another. We have an opportunity to do that this morning. And uh, Rick Jacobs asked to be anointed, and then I'm going to invite he and Tammy to come. And I've talked to Karen, and Karen's going to be anointed as well. He's going to come this morning. And perhaps there'll be some others that I haven't spoken with, and maybe you've got a need. It can be physical, it can be relational, it can, just, it can be a tangible need in your life that you just would like to be anointed for this morning. And we believe in the power of prayer, and we believe in gathering around those who need to be encouraged and lifted up. So it's Rick, I'm going to just invite you to come, and, and Tammy's going to sit in the front row. And, and if there'd be any others, this is the one we'd like you to kind of respond. And, and in just a few moments, as we prepare hearts for prayer, then we're going to invite our faith family, those who have lived life with each of these uh, to come and to lay hands upon them as you as you feel led. And we're just going to lift up and encourage one another this morning in this, this time of prayer. And this is a beautiful part of what we do. This is an expression of family. And it, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do that today. We spend some time with the Lord this morning. But can we sing that chorus again, Amy? Is it all right? I know it's, I don't throw that at you very often. So, so she's unplugged. So we're we're going we're gonna to wing it here if that's all right. Yeah. Okay, just to kind of prepare our hearts for just a time of just meeting with the Lord. Hearing the words that we sing, recognizing that maybe it's not that way for everyone today, but maybe we can be a part of helping them draw close to God this morning. Let's prepare our hearts today to pray. I will look up for models for us when we pray to pray like this our father who art in heaven we hallow your name this morning we lift you up we worship you we, we put you first we, we put you back on the throne of our hearts and of our lives we, we have to do that first before anything else comes next so we make sure that we're doing it in the right way the right motives the right intentions the right desires Lord, we're here to worship you we are submitting our lives today, God, so that they, Father, would, would be a means of glory, bringing glory to you. Lord, it's easy, as we've just mentioned, when life's going well, when everything seems to be falling into place, uh, to, to do that without reservation, without hesitation. But God, when life gets heavy, as it often does, we struggle. We know, Lord, there's nothing that we're going to share with you this morning that you're not already aware of. We, we know, God, that you're already at work in our lives in ways maybe that we can't see. Maybe this morning is just one part of that. But God, we still in our humanness wonder why. How long? Will it get better? If we're really honest, there's, there's parts of us, Lord, that are often afraid. 
maybe you won't answer or answer in the way that we would like you to. But Father, this time of prayer is an act of faith. We're not praying, Lord, to change your mind. We're not coming to you, Lord, seeking just our will to be done, Lord, but rather we're coming as an act of submission, of surrender, but in Lord, of also of testimony and praise. Lord, in these moments, we, we say you are our only hope. You, God, are our answer. So, Father, this morning, it's, it's with great joy and it's a privilege and an honor today to lay hands upon our family and our friends. Lord, we anoint with oil, representing the covering of your spirit. And I anoint Rick this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God. It's your touch that he desires. We know what the doctors have said. We know the struggles he's had with the insurance companies. Lord, and those are all earthly, tangible things. Lord, there's something that, that we need to know for sure, or sure, for certain, Lord, that you are at work in this situation. Lord, that you are at work in his life. And God, today, I just pray for a touch upon him, first physically. Touch him. He's tired. I pray, Lord, for his wife as they've been walking this journey for so many months now, Lord, waiting for healing, waiting for progress, waiting for answers. God, today we give him to you. And I pray, Father, you would continue to work in his life, and Lord, you would be honored and glorified. Lord, we would see that your answers begin to, to be made known. We would see you at work in the days ahead. But Lord, we would continue to lean into you, Lord, and we would praise you for your faithfulness. We believe it, Lord. Today we give him to you. God, my friend Karen is no stranger to you. We know she's been dealing with some issues with her heart for some time. Good days and bad days. Lord, in honesty, she, she's tired. Things haven't been as good lately as she'd like. So today, Father, we anoint her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Believing, Lord, as your spirit rests upon her, that you will just continue to encourage her. Remind her, God, that she's not alone. Lord, that every day you give is a blessing. Lord, we just continue to thank you for for your faithfulness, even in the difficult days. Even, Lord, when you don't answer the way we'd like you to, Lord, we're going to praise you. Just as we learned from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lord, even if you don't, still, God, we will worship and praise you. Lord, we're believing you will. I pray that you'd meet with her right now in the midst of her fire. That, Lord, you would give her good days, give her rest, peace, Lord, not just of mind, but of spirit. That, Lord, she would know that you are at work. You would continue to be honored and glorified, I pray, in her life this morning. And we thank you for this opportunity, uh, this door that you're opening, for more praise, uh, for for, for more signs, Lord, of your faithfulness. Lord, do it. Do it, Lord. And as she tells people about you, may they remember this moment. Think, oh, yeah, I was a part of that. God showed up, perhaps in an unexpected way. The Lord, this is how sometimes you work in our lives. Regardless of how you choose to do it, Lord, work today, I pray, if you care in this morning. Lord, I want to pray for Tina this morning. Lord, you know her story. You know all that she's dealing with right now. Father, I thank you. For, for moving in her this morning. I thank you, God, for, for stirring her heart today, for, for letting her know, Lord, there, there's something, there's someone else out there who wants to walk with her through the valley that she finds herself in right now. Help her with the difficulty, Lord, that she's going through. And Lord, this morning we anoint her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, believing God. 
believing, Lord, that this is no accident, God, that she's here today. Lord, you, you have this divine or, or ordained meeting with her, Lord, and she, she needed to be with you. How do we give her to you? Whatever she's going through, Lord, whatever she's dealing with, Father, we just commit and surrender it to you. Lord, we look forward to seeing how you're going to answer, how you're going to work in her life. God, we thank you for the chance to pray together this morning for one another, to anoint and to lay on of hands, to, to be a, a tangible expression of the body of Christ. As part of church, we often don't get to participate in or as much as we should. Lord, what a privilege it is this morning to pray together. God, you've opened the doors. You're clearly here. As we go through the rest of, of our time together this morning, of our time with you, would you speak to our hearts in new ways, powerful ways? May your spirit, Lord, be freed, unleashed to encourage, convict, to call, to lift up, to restore. God, I just pray that you will be honored and glorified through our time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the chance to pray with one another. Spend time talking with you, our Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you. Continue to be with us and speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. We'll be wrapping up our conversation we've been having this month on life hacks. And maybe it's because we've been talking about it, but it seems like every week I go home and I find myself with something else I've got to figure out or some other hack I've got to put into practice. And isn't it good to know that we serve a creative God who gives us creative minds in order to work through some of the problems that we face so we can get through our days? And the same is true spiritually. He gives us all that we need to be all that he's called us to be who he has saved us to be, if we're just willing uh, to listen and to put into practice the words that he gives us, uh, to learn from the lessons that he allows us to walk through and to experience in life, and ultimately to become who he wants us to be. Now today we're going to talk about something pretty personal. Uh, we're going to bring it kind of real this morning and talk about temptation. And James and his, uh, all of his teachings uh, gets to the heart of, of what temptation's about and, and the problems that it causes. It begins in James chapter 1, in verses 14 and 15. It says, When each person is tempted, when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So James begins in a very early part of his letter to the church talking about temptation and, the, and what it does and how it drags us away, how once we give into it, it leads to sin. And sin grows, brings death. Now, you perhaps, I hope you haven't watched it, there's a show on television called Temptation Island. Whether we recognize it or not, we all live on our own Temptation Island. Those things in our lives that Satan knows about us, that he uses to entice us, to tempt us, in an effort to draw us away, to drag us away from God. If you've ever been fishing, you know that we... we Fish with hooks, but we don't just throw the hook in the water. Fish are you know, not the smartest creatures on the planet, but they're smart enough not to bite just a plain hook. So what do you do? Instead, you put on the hook, you put a worm, if that's any better. But to the fish, it is. Uh, and, or maybe use a, a, a lure that's fuzzy or colorful or shiny, those, those shiny metal things that are attractive, that draw us in and cause us to want to take a bite. Before we know it, we're hooked. 
And then Satan reels us in, drags us away from who God wants us to be, pulling us away from him. We all deal with temptation. We use words such as forbidden fruit to go all the way back to Genesis when Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden. God said, you can have anything in this whole garden except for the fruit of these two trees. Don't touch these two trees. Tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't touch them. What does Satan do? He tempts Adam and Eve. Well, why don't you want the fruit off of those two trees? He lies to them, convinces them, and they give in. So we use this analogy of forbidden fruit. God tells us to keep away from that which is forbidden. But the world wants to put the forbidden fruit in front of us as if, well, you can't have it. Oh, but maybe you can. If that makes it taste better or if it's something more desirable for us. James speaks to our own evil desires is what leads to temptation. Remember as a kid, went on vacation one year to a magical place, a place called Hershey Park. The whole park dedicated to chocolate. Oh, it was a great place to be, because I, I really like chocolate. I like hot chocolate. I like chocolate milk. I like chocolate chip cookies without nuts and extra brown sugar, if you're paying attention and taking notes at home. Um, and and, and I, like, I, I like Swiss rolls. I mean, I like Swiss rolls. I could polish off a whole box of Swiss rolls like it's nothing. I really like Swiss rolls. I like chocolate so much, I've been known to hide it around the house. Now, when you have eight kids, you've got to hide a lot of things around the house, but especially chocolate. It's like they've they got this extra chocolate sense. They just know what you're trying to hide, and they can find it. So you've got to get creative, and sometimes you hide it in, in places they, they won't look, like where you keep the cleaning supplies. not the best place to store food, but if you hide stuff where you have cleaning supplies, you know the kids don't like to clean, so they don't go look there. So it's a great place. Or, or you find this, you get this thing. There's a real trick at home. You buy this ice cream flavor that nobody likes. Like everybody just says, that's just disgusting. Who would make ice cream like that? You empty it out. You put all the stuff that you like inside of it. And you put it in the freezer. They don't touch it. It's your secret stash. So I have a secret stash at home. And I've just given you some of my secrets. So I'm going to go and tell my kids. But, but when we want to, when we have these desires, we're enticed. When we have these things inside of us that we want, we'll do crazy things in order to get them. Or to hold on to them. Or to get more of them. And what we see going on here in James, James is writing to the church, and we do understand that, right? In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels, the story of the life of Jesus and why Jesus came to save us from our sins, the story of how he went to the cross and was crucified, dead, and buried in the tomb, and after three days rose again so that we could find forgiveness and be restored in relationship with God. And the book of Acts talks about how God then sends us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to help us to become and to live out this faith life that God has called us to live, that he saved us uh, from ourselves so that we could become who he wants us to be, so we could be disciples. But then everything else in the New Testament after the book of Acts are letters to the church, to us, to help us to grow. But oftentimes we read in the letters, their responses to problems that the churches are going through in many times. And this is no, no, no exception. James is writing to a church that is going through some really difficult times, facing some struggles. And he gets right to it in James chapter 4. says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? There's some things going on. You're fighting. You're quarreling amongst each other. Why? James goes a little bit deeper and he gets to the heart of what's going on. This is the personal part that might be difficult for some of us. You're getting tempted. Drug away by your own evil desire. Those temptations are giving birth to sin. And we know that sin, once it's full grown, leads to death. But there is good news. There's hope, James says. There's hope. We read in Paul, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you 
except what is common to mankind. So what everybody deals with, Paul writes. And God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out that you can endure it. Not if you're tempted, but when you are tempted. Every day, everyone deals with temptation. But the heart of temptation is not other things. Rather, the heart of temptation is what or who is inside of us. And oftentimes, that who is you and me. It is us. We are at the very heart of temptation. So go back to James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James uses the word desires in chapter 1, by their own evil desire. Then here in James chapter 4, verse 1, they come from your desires that battle within you. Your, your, your desires are fighting with one another. You know the good you ought to do, but you don't do it, from the words of Paul. And that's the truth I want us to not miss today. We can know what the right thing is, but God still allows us to choose, and we can choose to do the wrong thing. We know what might be good for us, but we still choose to do what's bad for us. Have you ever said that to your kids? If you know what's good for you, meaning if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a punishment of some sort. And the same is true for us. There are consequences to our choices when we know the good we ought to do and still choose to disobey or choose to pursue our selfish desires or choose what it is that we want rather than what God wants. We keep reading in chapter 4. You want something, James writes, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This would be a hard letter to read, wouldn't it? James writing a letter to the church. Because sometimes we come to church, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We're, we're good people, gathered in the right place, doing the right things. We're showing up like we should do be. But here James then comes, gets right to the heart issue. The problem that you're facing is not from the outside. It's rather what's going on inside. Battles and quarrels that are going on within you. Now, if you've ever been in church, you've been in church any length of time, you've undoubtedly heard of, hopefully not been a part of, but perhaps you have been, in the midst of a quarrel or a fight or disagreement. And unfortunately, they, they do occur even in church because the church is made up of imperfect people uh, such as you and me. But oftentimes, the hurt that maybe we experience from these quarrels or disagreements, they cut a little bit deeper. They take longer to heal. They tend to hurt a little bit more. Because this place, this place of grace, could be the last place that you face hurt, disagreements, quarrels, or arguments. So James is kind of cutting through all the red tape, getting to the heart of the issue. Why do you go through these issues? Why do you face them? Why are you struggling? Well, because you're giving in to the desires, the evil desires, he describes, within you. You're letting those things within you become more important than what God desires. We call this selfishness. <laughs> Not a word we like to use a lot. Not a word that's often easily associated with the idea of temptation and sin, but the root of all sin is self, love of self, pursuit of what self wants or what it is that I want. We, by nature, by birth, are selfish people. When babies are born, they, they cry, don't they? They instantly almost cry, and most babies do. They cry because they're cold and want someone to warm them up. They cry because they're hungry and want someone to come and feed them. By nature, we want our needs met. And when they're not met, we cry out. 
Not much changes when we grow up, do they? Or does it? We still face many who cry out when our needs aren't met. I have shared a lot of stories with you about my own kids, and you, but you have your own stories. Now, have a little fun, but in all honesty, who would say today, you know what, Pastor, you're right, and I didn't know it at first, but, but later on in life, I now realize that I married a selfish spouse. Okay? Okay? Okay. No one brave enough to raise your hand? Well, you're all lying because you all did. We're all selfish people. We, we married selfish people. That's who we are by nature. Now, I know we have great parents in this church. You are great parents. You love your kids. You want what's best for them. Who would admit, you know, no matter how good a job that we think we've done, I raised selfish kids. Anybody say that's selfish kids? Yeah, we, I got a few up there. Yeah, I have selfish kids. I'll acknowledge that. And, and I, sometimes it may be, may be because of what I've done, but it's also because of who they are. We have this selfish nature within us. And that selfish nature, I love how James indirectly connects the dots into this idea of holiness and sanctification. We're not going to get into that today. But God gives the Holy Spirit to come and to empty us of us so that he could fill the gap and take out those things that cause quarreling and division and fights among us. Take the seat on our, the throne of our hearts where he rightfully belongs. He takes the selfishness away. But until that happens, we deal with temptation and we deal with sin. And we are still tempted even after we receive the Holy Spirit. But we have a way out of it. He, as God promises, he sends the help for us to get through it. And we are tempted. We find ourselves struggling at times with sin or the consequences with sin. And when we're tempted, when we deal with the consequences of our sin, with the fallout, as to our nature, what do we typically do? Well, we blame others. It's someone else's fault. It's not my fault. It's my spouse's fault, or it's my kid's fault, or it's my boss's fault. Or if that's not enough, we'll blame God. Well, God, if you hadn't given me this person, look what Adam did in the garden. What was Adam's word? Adam said, well, God, that woman you gave me brought me the apple. You have to say, if it's not her fault, Lord, then it's your fault. We see it from the very beginning of time, and we continue this tradition of blaming others or blaming God, all in this effort to avoid accountability, to avoid answering what it is or answering to what it is that we really desire. We like the idea of being in a relationship with God, but at the same time still having access to the things that we really want. These temptations we struggle with, as James reveals to us, comes from what's deep within us and the values or the pleasures of this world that we're drawn towards. As we're drawn towards them, we often fail to recognize that we're being pulled away from God. That God cannot be the source of temptation in our lives. This temptation by nature pulls us away from Him. When we feed our desires, this leads us to temptation, and we are giving in, we are allowing ourselves to be drug away from God, to be pulled further from Him. We allow sin to be birthed within us, leading us further away from God, eventually, and a separation from God always leads to death. Death. James isn't mincing any words. Kind of getting right to the heart of it. He wants them to know the problems you're facing aren't from the outside. They're problems you're facing because of what's going on in the inside. Verse 4, I don't have it in front of you, but listen to his language. You adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's some pretty harsh language for a church, 
for those who gather believing in God, worshiping Him. You adulterous people, you, you, you cheaters. You, you who have turned your back on this covenant relationship with God the Father that Jesus offers to you through His shed blood on the cross. You're choosing the pleasure of the world. You're choosing to, to be friends with the world. James wants us to know that if that's your choice, then you become an enemy of God. He uses this word enmity. Enmity is not a word we use a lot in our language, but we've seen this word before, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When, when God is responding to Adam and Eve's sin and, and, and confronting Satan because of his temptation, he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. When I was a little kid, we sang this Sunday school song. If I had a little white box, put my Jesus in. I'd take him out and share him with a friend. If I had a little black box, I'd put the devil in. I'd take him out and smash his head and put him back again. In that he, God says, I'm going to put something between you, your offspring, and, and, and Eve's offspring. And, and, and Satan's offspring is always temptation and sin and destruction and death. And God puts a separation between that. That separation is Jesus Christ. He's going to come. He's going to crush your head, Satan. He's going to be between you and my children. There's going to be hope for them. And here James says, the, the world, if you choose the world, you are creating enmity between you and God. You're giving in to your temptation. You're giving in to what Satan is putting there. And you're choosing friendship with the world. For some of us, there's enmity right now between you and God, and God is revealing to you what that is. He's given us a choice this morning. What do we do about it? Well, this might lead us to question, well, if God loves us, then why not protect us from temptation? Why allow it to begin with? And in the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. And in the prayer, is not that God tempts us, but rather he allows temptation to occur in our lives. Why? That we could show him that we choose him. So that we could put feet to the words, I love you, God. That there would be meaning to this decision, this relationship that we choose to enter into. Without it, without free will, without the ability to choose, without allowing us to be tempted and to be able to show God what it is that we really believe, what it is that is important, there'd be no substance behind our commitment. There'd be no growth through our times of difficulty. There'd be no way for God to tell who or what is important to us. So temptation is a reality. It's something we all go through, we all deal with. What life hacks might we use? What life hacks does God give us to deal with temptation? To efficiently confront or to overcome? To be fruitful, even in the midst of being tempted. The first response the life hack he gives us is to resist it. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God resist the devil what happens when you resist the devil this is a beautiful part james tells us he will flee from you resist him tell him no to put up some boundaries says you not today satan get away from me and scripture says he flees from us doesn't just kind of saunter off or hide in the corner he runs away because when we resist the devil we're choosing god and satan can't be in the presence of god there's no way the two can coexist submit ourselves to god Render to him. Resist the devil in temptation. He'll flee from him. And James continues, verse 8, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Put up boundaries. 
in, in our home, our, our kids, they're not allowed to date until they're 16. And we've had a lot of disagreements or arguments with our kids over the years about that. There's a reason for that. We want them to be an age where they can understand the complexities of, of being in a relationship with someone else, but also old enough to uh, take on some of the responsibilities that that relationship might entail. But even when they are able to date, even until they're married or out of the college, they're not allowed to be in the house, our house, by themselves. That's a boundary we put up to help them resist. Why do we do that to them? Because because we don't trust them? Well, that's part of it. But more because we know ourselves, right? Because we understand what it's like to, to be put in that place of temptation. Why, why even put them there? Just take it away from them so that they're not tempted from it. Growing up, my wife and I, we were in our dating relationship. We're just like everybody else, and she was just all over me, and I just had to take trouble keeping her. I know you have trouble believing that, but she's not here today, so I can say that out loud. We've got to put up boundaries so we could resist temptation. We laugh about it, but what boundaries do we have in the lives of our families and our homes? What do you allow on your TVs? Are you allowing our kids to absorb or to digest? Screen time, what are they watching? What are they taking in? What are they eating? What are we protecting them from? What temptations are they facing that they don't need to be dealing with right now that they may not be ready for? We put up boundaries in those areas, but there's other things that we maybe need to put up boundaries for. Maybe it's food. Maybe you need to not buy certain things. If I'm having trouble with chocolate, I probably shouldn't buy chocolate. I have better control now. It's okay. You can buy me chocolate. But you know, restaurants get this. You know, McDonald's. You ever been to McDonald's? Don't lie. We've all been to McDonald's. We've all been there. We don't like to talk how we've all been there because, you know, McDonald's. But we all go there. We've been there. There's something about McDonald's french fries, isn't there? You just, you just got to keep eating them. And to, to the point where when you're done with the little fry container, it's empty, you still want more. What do you do? You look in the bag. There's always two or three that have fallen out of the container. They're in the bag, right? So even when you're done, you're, you're not quite done. And McDonald's caught on to this a few years ago. They even had bags that says, look in the bag for the extra fries. So they kind of caught on to that. So we, we want more because we like it. We have this desire. We're enticed. You ever go to Wendy's and get a, a Dave's bacon single? Well, those are pretty good if they're done right. Um, not my favorite burger, but they're not bad for, for something quick, easy on the go. But if that's not enough, they make a Dave's double. They put two of them on there. And if that's not enough, you can get a Dave's triple. And it might be good, but who in here would ever say that that's good for us? We wouldn't say it's good for us. We know, we know better. But they put it out there. We're tempted. We have to have it. You know, I like bacon. Anybody else like bacon? Bacon. Bacon's really good. You know what makes bacon even better? They put sugar on it. Who would have thought? Bacon on a donut. Ooh, good stuff. But you get candied bacon on a, on a cheeseburger. Ooh, now you're talking. I mean, we, we take something, we keep adding to it, because that enticement the world wants to get us, they want to hook us, pull us in. Even when we don't eat french fries, they want to stop in for french fries. And, and even, when, even when a single's enough, they want us to get a triple. They want to keep adding on. And that, there's those desires within us that lead us to wanting more. Maybe your temptation is gossip. Well, shifting gears. We'll talk about shifting gears. Now, I know we don't, we don't gossip, right? I know that. And when we do, we say, oh, bless their hearts. It makes everything okay. Right? <laughs> we laugh. We laugh. But we know it's true. Here's a little secret. 
You know, if you and a friend gossip about somebody else, when you're not with their friend, who do you think they talk about? You. When you're with a different friend, who do you talk about? Your other friend. It's our nature. And, and all of it's to, to lift ourselves up, to put ourselves in a position of over someone else, make ourselves look good. Well, how do we protect ourselves from gossip? How do we resist that? Maybe we need to find new friends. Maybe we need to hold each other accountable. Maybe we need to stop and say, no, not today. I had a pastor not too long ago, not, not near here, come up to me, and he says, you know, I shouldn't tell you this, but I said, then, then don't. And I stopped him. Then don't tell me. Well, it deals with, no. If, you're not, if you said you wouldn't say something, then don't. Because that, that's just temptation. That, that's desire to share information. You're, there, there's something selfish about wanting to have that conversation. Are you with me? If it was really about the benefit of the person, you'd go to the person and encourage them to come talk to me. It's about, hey, look, I know something you don't. Let me tell you what I know. Or let me tell you what your friend told me. There, there's ways that, that we twist and manipulate because it meets this need within us to be valued, to be important. There's this desire deep within us. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe you like things. Maybe you like to shop. Maybe you have a problem with QVC or the online shopping channel or Amazon. Maybe you know your Amazon driver by name. I don't know. How do you get rid of that? Put spending limits. Give your credit card to your spouse. Quit, quit putting yourself in a position where you can go and spend things and buy things you don't need. Get real sensitive here for a moment. Maybe it's lust. Over a person or over a car or over different things, that lust can look differently. Maybe it's pornography. Temptation. How do you deal with it? Resist it. Put up boundaries. Find someone to hold you accountable. It's a real issue. I've been criticized in the past for talking about it. I had a, someone years ago said, I can't believe you used that word in church. Well, if we're not going to talk about it, then we're not talking about sin. So what are we really here for? Get to the heart of what's going on. We've got to address the desires within us so that God can do a work and save us from ourselves. The first life hack we have is resist. Resist the devil. He'll flee from us. Let's put ourselves in a position where self-gratification isn't our priority so that we're not drug away from God separated from him. Resist temptation. I know it's hard. Because temptation really gets to the heart of the answer, or the heart of the issue, or really to the, the monster at the heart of the issue. Check out this video. I think you'll like it. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, me. Some me interrupting anything. Me just, uh... No, actually, we're on a break right really now. Really, me. Me happen to smell something. <gasps> Ah, uh, oh, yes, of course. I've just made the correlation between your name and what I'm about to eat. Well, me cannot I think, wait, 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 just wait a second, because this one's mine. But me want cookie. Maybe this can be an exercise in 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 um, delayed gratification. Like so, delayed this gratification. I know it's a long word. word. <laughs> it's a long word. It's probably too long for cookies. It's too long. We just want to eat cookies. The thing about this, we is want that, to eat cookie I, now, though. I know. I get that. But I really want to share it with you. But this one's mine. But but I but I know I know that there'll be one for you. So you're saying if me wait, me going to get cookie? Ultimately, yes. Okay, me going to wait. Okay. How long we have to wait? Isn't that the question? God, I'll wait 
God, I'll resist temptation, but how long am I going to have to wait, God? How long am I going to have to put off wanting what it is I want? And here's what we don't realize, that what God has for us is of far greater value, and of, of, last, of eternal significance, than anything this world could offer to us. Delayed gratification. It's another way of saying resist temptation. The gratification's coming if we're just able to resist, to put off. You've heard Lay's Potato Chips commercial says you just can't, you can't eat just one. But don't buy the bag to begin with, and you won't have any problems resisting. Don't have one. Set boundaries up in your lives. Because our culture continues to let us know that whatever we want is available to us whenever we want it. We have to move away from, there, there, there's movement in this resisting. We move away from that which is pulling us away from God, and we move closer to Him. We draw near to God. He draws near to us. The parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. We, we see the prodigal son who's taken his inheritance, selfishly gone and, and squandered on his, his selfish living. This is the point where he has nothing left. He's living amongst the pigs. And Scripture tells us he comes to his senses, meaning he wises up. James has talked about wisdom. And he goes, I'm going to go back. Even my father's servants are living better than this. I'm going to go back. I'm going to, and, and humility, he humbles himself. says, I'm going to go back to my dad and ask for a job. In verse 20, Scripture tells us in, in Luke chapter 15, while he was still a long way off, father sees him and joyfully runs towards him. When we, in humility, take that first step of drawing near to God, God leaps closer to us and draws close to you and I. Resist Satan. Draw near to him. Surround yourselves with more of him. That's why these moments, these times of worship matter. It's an intentional step of drawing near to God. Resist. Draw near. Watch God draw closer to you. But if we do give in, if, if resisting has been difficult, if we find ourselves making a bad choice or we've fallen, then what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you own it. Oh, man, I messed up. Okay, I did that. I, I need to take responsibility. And the son does this in the story of the prodigal son. He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I own this. I've made a mistake. Our sins, they, they should move us, not just physically, but also inside. They, they, they should move us to, to acknowledge what it is that we've done to cause this separation, this enmity. It should move us to the point where we find ourselves kind of broken, distraught at the separation. And then James shifts gears a little bit here and he uses some language that might seem out of place. But when you look back at the whole of Scripture, you begin to see what Jesus wants us to recognize is happening when we're tempted, when we give in, and when we sin. James chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. James tells us to grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, this is language that often is misunderstood, sort of, when we read it. Because grieving is a response typically reserved for loss, when we lose something, typically a loved one. We've lost a loved one, we grieve over that. You've lost a job, you might grieve the loss of your job. You lose a pet, you might grieve the loss of your pet. Uh, you lose a relationship, you might grieve the loss of a relationship. So grief comes from this idea of loss. But often when we read these words in Scripture, we think, oh, isn't it good that God cares about our grief and suffering because we've lost someone we care about? But God goes so much deeper than that. What He wants us to grieve is the fact that we've lost Him. Then when there's sin in our lives, we've separated ourselves from Him. When He talks about mourning and wailing, we should recognize how hopeless we are without 
him, when we laugh about living a life of sin and living in the midst of all of our temptations and relishing in our desires, we should turn our laughter to mourning. We shouldn't be joyful about it. We should be in the midst of gloom because we're separated from him. Here's one of my fears in the life of the church today. We've grown comfortable with that separation. We're okay with it. One foot over here in church, the other foot over here in the world. I got the best of both. And God's saying, no, you don't have, you don't have me at all. You've allowed enmity in your life, separation between me and your selfish, evil desires. Verse 10, he says, humble yourselves for the Lord. Lift you up. We see similar language in Matthew chapter 5. This is a sermon on the mount of the Beatitudes we many we know them as. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Oh, we love that. If we're grieving, we love to be comforted. But again, Jesus is going a little bit deeper. Blessed are those who mourn their sin, who mourn the existence of sin in their lives, for they will be forgiven. They recognize there's their division there, their separation. They recognize it and they want to fix it. They will be comforted, God says. Now, the sin, we know sin ultimately leads to death, so we understand that the correlation and the connection when we grieve the loss of a loved one, but we tend to make our grief kind of focusing on us individually, but rather what we fail to miss is that our loved one that we've lost loves God. They're not separated any longer, and there comes the joy in the midst of the conversation. Mourning in recognition of the consequences of that which separates us from God. What is in our lives that's separating us from him today? Many years ago, when I first entered into ministry, I, I used to listen to Robbie Zacharias, who, who passed away not too long ago, and I know after his passings, there were some indiscretions discovered in his life, and I, I recognize that, but there were some, still some good teachings we can draw from. And many years ago, I was listening to a, a message that he gave, and he shared these words, we cry at what we used to laugh at, and we laugh at what we used to cry at. If you have any experience in life, you understand that when you were a kid, you didn't chew gum in class. You got in trouble for chewing gum. And now you get in trouble for bringing a gun to class. And if you were talking about bringing a gun to class 30 years ago, we would laugh at that. Now we find that it brings tears, the things that we now deal with. And then that's what's happening in our world today is that we cry at what used to be funny and we are laughing at what used to upset us. Think about that in the context of sin. Of separation. We used to laugh and think, well, that could never happen to us. That would never be a reality in our world. Yet it has become just that. Now, these are words, if you look into Scripture, you see them in Luke chapter 6. When Luke shares his version of the Beatitudes, he writes in verse 21, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And again in verse 25, he gets to the woe statements. We have blessing statements, we have woe statements. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. If you're laughing now in the midst of your sin, there's going to be a point in time where you're going to be mourning and weeping of your separation from God. There won't be anything you'll be able to do about it. And we see in, in Matthew 23 the same verbs that James uses here in verse 10. The, the same verbs that says, humble yourself for the Lord and he'll lift you up are the same verbs that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 23. Humble and be lifted up. Same language, same meaning. We jump back to the prodigal son. Fathers ran to his son. He's kissed him. He's lifted him up literally and figuratively. He's restored him to sonship. Put on his own robe, put a ring on his finger. He's restored him into relationship. And what does the son do next? Father, I have sinned against you. He's owned it. He confesses it. 
Now it becomes something that they can deal with. Now healing can begin to happen. Now that separation is removed and he's invited back into the family. He's once again a son of the father. We too can become a child of the king, a son and a daughter of the father when we confess that which separates us from him. I'm going to show you this video too. Here's the rest of the story. Smell that? Me, no, me smelling it. Smell. Smell. Me going to look away from cooking. Smell. Me not going to look at cooking. Oh, this hard. Okay. This hard for monster. Please have pity on monster. Please break cookie. Me waited. Me did it. Me wait all day. Me just want to eat. Doesn't it taste better for waiting? Yeah, thank you for teaching me that. That's right. Do you want another one? You have to ask. When we get to the point where we're willing to confess, say, God, have pity on monster. Then God not only forgives us, but restores us in relationship with Him. And that delayed gratification becomes a reality in our life when, when God fills our lives with things that we could not have imagined, in ways that we could not have imagined. And, and he, he brings us back into this place of, of, of sonship and of daughtership with Him. And we read in James chapter 1, verse 18, He chose to give us birth, not death, birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Word, first fruits. Aparhe. Aparhe mean, means the first product, the first portion, the first given back to God. We become fruit given to God, consecrated, set apart for God's use. That happens when we seek forgiveness, when we confess that which we have allowed into our lives that separate us from Him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, Scripture tells us He is faithful and just and will forgive us. If we've sinned, if we've allowed that into our lives, God will forgive us if we confess it. Go backwards a couple of verses in verse 6. If we say, though, we walk with God and live in darkness, here's that if then, here's that double-minded, here's both sides of the fence. We walk with God, yet we like the desires of this world. John tells us we lie to ourselves and to others. And that's pretty discouraging, but then he continues in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What's James dealing with? He's dealing with division and dispute within the church. How do you overcome division and dispute? Walk in the light. How do you overcome division and dispute? Forget your selfishness. Surrender to God. Confess to him. Walk with him. And we have fellowship with each other. In the blood of Jesus, John writes, his son purifies us from all sin. And here we get to the heart of it. Selfishness leads to division. Always. It has to. If we're continually pursuing what we want, the person next to us is continually pursuing what they want, the person over here is continually pursuing what they want, there's no room for fellowship. There's no room to be together because we're always wanting what it is that we desire. There's evil desires within us. James is talking to us about pulling back this curtain and, and showing us the reality that temptation always leads to sin. 
then always leads to death. This impacts not just us individually, but those around us, those that we share life with. There is no victimless sin. So we, we come to this point where we, we talk about the life hacks, and now we have to do something with them. And today, this is where the hard part comes. You might find yourselves walking in the light today. And if that's you, I praise God for you. Continue to pray for your church and the people that we, we, we attend church with or we're, we're in this faith family with together. But in preparation, and, and I began to, to write this a few weeks ago, and I remember just this sense of, of God saying, I want you to close like this. And, oh Lord, okay. And so we're, we're going to have what we would call an old-fashioned altar call. Why is it old-fashioned? When did it ever become old-fashioned to come before God at an altar of prayer? I don't know. But we used to call these, back in the day, what day that was. They know we used to call these morning benches. Why would we call them morning benches? Because of the words we read in James. Mourn that which separates you from God. This is a place we can come and not just spend time with God, but God runs and meets us. It's a place where we can acknowledge the things in our lives that separate us from Him. It's a place where we can come and deal with the struggles we're having resisting. Or having to own those things in our lives which we've allowed in that have caused this enmity between us and God. It's a place where we can come and confess. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm apart from you. I've let other things in. God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your Son to die for me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that allows me the opportunity to come, to be restored. As we close this morning, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, and maybe God is speaking to you, and you just want to come and spend some time mourning. Spend some time allowing God to restore. Maybe even confessing. Here's my promise to each one this morning. If that's you today, we're not going to ask you what it is you're confessing, what it is you're struggling with. That's between you and God. But it's a place, an opportunity for us to simply respond to the Spirit's leading. Or take that one step where we choose to draw close to God. That first step's all it takes. Father sees us on the horizon and he runs to you. How many of you need God to run to you? I invite you to stand. As I pray, if the Lord is speaking to you and you just need to spend some time with him, our morning benches today are open. Our altars are open. And you have the opportunity today to, to resist, to own, and to confess. Those are probably the three most important life hacks we've talked about. And I pray that you won't forget them. Keep them in your spiritual toolbox. Whenever life gets difficult, know where to find the help that you desperately will need, even if we're not yet to the place where we will admit or acknowledge. Maybe you're unresolved in some of this. Maybe this is all pretty new. Maybe you guys have some more dialogue you need to have with God. Is that you? Okay. God gives us time. Not eternity, yet. He gives us time to figure it out. As long as we're willing to listen. God's leading or speaking invite you to come. Find the help that you need. I'm waiting here for you.
God, I thank you for grace. The word we use often. Sometimes, Lord, in ways that maybe we don't fully understand its meaning. What it does for us, Lord. The invitation it gives to us. The restoration it offers to us. The relationship, Lord, it opens up to us. Lord, it's grace that allows us to even have this conversation. Without it, Lord, we would be subject to the consequences of our sin. We, Lord, have to pay the price of the separation that we've allowed into our lives. And it all goes back to this, these evil desires that we want to feed, that we think has to be met. And Satan uses those against us and his temptations of us. Things he presents to us, these idea of being gratified while a cute video Lord that the truth of it is there is a monster within each of us that we can't control on our own so Lord we need you Father this morning I pray that as you have been walking these aisles this morning as you have been passing behind us and beside us in front of us as you've been whispering to us Lord, that right now the conversations we have, we would not dismiss. Lord, as we're so good at often doing, we would not try to justify. Lord, we would not blame others. Lord, in this moment, we would own that which we've allowed to separate us from. In this moment, God, we would be willing to confess sin that we've allowed into our lives. This moment, God, we would desire to walk in the light, be in fellowship with one another, not in dispute or in separation. Father, come. Move us. Help us, God, to choose to draw close to you as you draw close to us. continue in a few moments of silence. It's an opportunity for us to respond. Time for God to speak. Lord, we thank you. moving. Thank you, Lord, for a place we can come. Not a place of judgment. A place of restoration. Not a place of condemnation, Lord. It's a place where we find hope restored. Not a place of criticism. Not a place where we look down. Rather, it's a place, Lord, where we look up. deserve it. Never earn it. You, Lord, know in my own life in preparation for this message, conversations we've had, things that I've had to work out, 
to acknowledge and admit and surrender and to submit. I thank you, Lord, for still helping me grow. Lord, in your faithfulness, point out the things in my life that separate me from you. Those attitudes, Lord, those desires that just have a, such a subtle way of creeping in. Love us too much to let the simplest things go unaddressed, not talked about. God, I thank you for that. For the blood of Jesus, for forgiveness, for relationship. God, we thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. For your glory, God. bless you. As you go, resist, own, confess. Let God take that in your life which separates you from him. Remove it. There's no place for it. God bless you. 